Okay. In that case, then turn in your Bibles or open up your apps or grab one of these little journals that was on your table or when you walked in, because tonight we are starting the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and I am thrilled to start the Gospel of Mark with you. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark uh, from tonight until Easter of 2023. So we'll take a few breaks. We're going to take a break for Advent, uh, take a break uh, kind of around spring breakish as well. But for most of the school year, we're going to abide with Jesus by looking at the account of his life in Mark's gospel. Um, this is part of why I'm, I'm really excited for this. We're going to see from Jesus's own life and in the lives of Jesus's followers, some of the values that Salt and Light was talking about all through the course of December. Um, so what better way is there to, to say, what does it look like to be with Jesus? What does it look like to become like Jesus? What does it look like to do what Jesus did than, than to just spend the majority of the school year dwelling in the life of Jesus and seeing it through the lens of his followers and seeing how Mark recounts some of Jesus' own life. So does that sound like a good way to spend our school year, a good way to spend our time? Nice. Four of you agree that it's a great way to spend the time. The rest of you do in your hearts. It's cool. Um, what we're going to see is, is, is a very different way of living that doesn't look like the world around us. And, and if we're honest, like, I think there's going to be some challenge for those of us who have some, some church background, some church history as well, because I think what we're going to see in Mark is a way of living and a way of following Jesus that doesn't even look like some of the, the capital C church in the Western world today. Um, that there's some things that will look counter the, the, the common culture and counter the religious culture as well. Um, here, here's a little bit of that. What we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark which, by the way, is the shortest of the four Gospels and the most action-packed. It's a very action-oriented Gospel. I think it says immediately, like 41 times. It just moves. But what we'll see in Mark is that Jesus' life and death and resurrection and reign matter, yes, for salvation and yes, for eternity, but we're also going to see that Jesus' life and death and resurrection and reign matter for things like social issues, or, or maybe better said, things that today get called social issues. Um, we'll see that his life, death, resurrection, and reign matter for holistic needs and, and have answers to, to really personal questions and wrestlings that we've all experienced, whether we felt safe to, to say them out loud or not. Um, his life, death, resurrection, and reign matter to, to cultural divisions. And, and on and on we could go, but, but that's true both in first century Israel where the events of this gospel take place, and also to the same kinds of things that we experience today. That's one thing we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark. It's a second thing we're going to ask in the Gospel of Mark, which, who, by the way, was, was a companion of the Apostle Peter. Um, these kid sheets show a, a, a version of Mark sitting with both Peter and Paul. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Peter was one of Jesus' first followers, and so uh, Mark recounted Peter's uh, recollections of, of following Jesus. But what we'll ask is that no matter who you are or where you are or what you're going through at any point as we walk through this gospel is that if you call yourself a Christian, we're going to ask, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Not just to believe that he was a person, not even just to believe in him, but what does it like to actually follow Jesus? And if you're someone who would consider yourself more of a skeptic or, or someone who's seeking truth or asking questions about truth, for, for you, we're going to ask, who is this Jesus that claims to be the Lord 
of the universe and who would look at you as he looked at others and say, follow me. Who is that Jesus? And finally, another thing we're going to see in Mark, which for the record was written about 20 years within the first 20 years after Jesus's death and resurrection, is we're going to see a helpful glimpse after helpful glimpse after helpful glimpse of Jesus, our Lord. That can help to grow our awareness and grow our love and grow our worship and grow our apprenticeship. It's a word we'll use a lot through Mark. Grow our apprenticeship to our King by the power of the Spirit, even if, or maybe better said, even though we are all distracted by tons of other things. And even though maybe some of us feel like we've lost that passion for him that we would say used to, uh, used to describe us. That make sense? My guess is that most of us in the room can resonate with at least one of those places in life, one of those postures. Maybe you consider yourself a skeptic. Maybe you're seeking something, even if you don't know what it is. Maybe, you've, maybe you just feel utterly distracted and discontented all the time. Maybe your, your passion for Jesus has been lost. Maybe you've wondered, how does Jesus matter to things that get called social issues and holistic needs and personal questions? cultural vision. Maybe, maybe you're just a mix of all of those things. Anyone resonate with those places? Again, I think this is going to be a good use of our time. I think this is going to be a good use of our year collectively as a church family. And if that's true, then we can't, we can't limit our, our abiding in Mark's gospel, our abiding with Jesus to just this 30-ish minutes teaching on a Sunday. It's got to be more than that. And so we're going to invite you as a servant leadership team, we're going we're to invite you to three things as we walk through the Gospel of Mark, both the first six chapters before Christmas, before Advent, and then the, the following chapters in the new year. We're going to invite you to three things. First, we're going to invite you to read Mark. Feels like it's a little bit of an obvious invitation, but, but we just want to make it overt that we would love for your only time in Mark not to be when someone's up here talking to you about the Gospel of Mark. So every week, read through the Gospel of Mark. There's lots of ways that can look. You could read the entire book all week. Again, it's the shortest of the Gospels. It moves really quickly. You could grab yourself a study Bible. You could, I think uh, Miriam posted this week about just kind of sitting and, and dwelling and, and kind of more of a lectio, kind of letting the words wash over you. Uh, Jess, my wife this week, did, did an audio book and just had the, these verses, the verses we're talking about tonight, just, just read to her. And there's something different about listening and, and hearing the scriptures rather than reading them. So there's lots of different ways. But we want to help you in two ways. One is that if you didn't see him coming in, um, there's uh, Mark journals. Um, and if you haven't opened yours yet, essentially what it is is on the left side, um, it's, it's the, just the gospel of Mark, but the whole gospel of Mark. And on the right side, depending on which one you grab, there's either lines if you're more of a note taker, journaler, writer, um, or in the ones that are appropriately more you know, artistic, um, there's blank spaces and even some like uh, word art and this kind of stuff, word art. I say that as if I don't know what that is. There's words that are made pretty inside the book. Um, there's word art and, and things for you to interact with and engage with, perhaps in a more artistic or, or creative way. Those are free for you. We'd love for you to take them and work, with, uh, work, work on them and process through them as you read the Gospel of Mark. It's also not a checklist. So if you miss a week or you get behind or, or you don't exactly know where we are in the Gospel of Mark, that's okay. We're not going to collect these at the end of Mark and, and give you a grade on them. Um, it's an invitation to read the Gospel of Mark. 
Um, with those journals, there's also bookmarks, though, that tell you uh, every week's reading. Um, the second invitation is as you read, and these questions are on the bookmark, ask God, ask the Spirit, how might God be specifically inviting me from this passage, from these verses, from this week's reading, how might God be specifically asking me and inviting me to be with Jesus? How might God be specifically inviting me to, be, to become more like Jesus? Is there anything in this text that God is inviting me to do as I do what Jesus did? So kids, you are welcome to take these marked journals as well. Again, there's every other page is blank for you to color on. We also have these uh, kind of graphic, uh, graphic novel style uh, mark sheets that we'll have here every Sunday. You're welcome to take yours with you. And just if you want to color the parts that we talk about every week, or if you want to get a new one every week and use the back, that kind of stuff. If you're an artistically oriented student or adult, those are free for you as well. But kids, especially, we'd love for you to read through the Gospel of Mark with your grown-ups, by yourself if you want to try. We'd love to hear your voices on Sundays as well. And that leads us to the third thing, is that every Sunday during the teaching time, uh, we'll, have, we'll, we'll, we'll take some time to, to ask those questions. Is there anything that, that anyone felt like God was specifically inviting them into, stirring in them, prompting us as a church unto, uh, related to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, or doing what Jesus did? And we all get to learn together, trusting that the Spirit works in different ways in, in each other. And we get to encourage each other. We get to challenge each other as we walk through this gospel. So those are the three invitations. Read, Mark, ask the questions, and then come in. Uh, even if you've never shared in one of these gatherings before, if, if the Spirit stirs something in you, would you be so bold as to, as to share it with others? So those are the invitations. That's how we're going to walk through Mark this year. Any questions on any of that? Any clarification? Okay, our, our deepest hope, and, and what I've been praying, what we've been starting to process through as, as we step into Mark, is that by the end of this year, uh, we'll all look a little bit more like Jesus. Um, we'll all be, be doing a little bit more, living a little bit more like Jesus did and lived as we dwell with Jesus through this gospel. So I'm going to open us up uh, in praying just specifically for that, and then we'll dive into the gospel of Mark. So... Uh, Father God, yeah, we can't conjure up um, obedience, we can't conjure up worship, we can't conjure up any lasting fruit, only you can do that. Um, and so we can have marked journals and sheets and read, uh, and it can become an arbitrary checklist or something that we think we can do to earn more of your love or, or whatever else, and, and God, I just pray against that. I pray that you would, you would invite us. To, to know you more deeply, to abide with you more richly, to, to see our lives overflow more and more of you and your spirit over these months together. I pray that as a church family, um, we would look more like you and be doing more of what you do um, as we just dwell in your life, your death, your resurrection, and your reign. Would you, call, would you produce that in us? It's in your son's name. Amen. All right, with that as the intro and kind of a foundation for our entire school year together, uh, let's dive into the first words of the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, there'll be words on the screen. Here is what Mark says. And those of you who are coloring your coloring sheets, this is the banner right under the word Mark. Here's how Mark starts. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared. John is Jesus' cousin, by the way. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he, this one coming after me, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, so for those of you who did read and reflect ahead this week, does anything stand out from, from these verses, from this portion of Mark, anything that, that God might be inviting you or, or us to? What stood out? Yeah, yeah, John's life seems strange to other people's eyes. Yeah, we'll actually come back to that in a few moments. Anything else stand out? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even like people would leave kind of the common like cities where, where, where a lot of society happened and that kind of stuff. People would leave the cities to go out to John and find him in his. Rather than being at like the most close community. Yeah. That's right. That's good. Anything else stand out? leave that about you. It was, my, it was my first time realizing that this section here it says it's uh, a saying from Isaiah the prophet, but it's made up of three different, mm-hmm. it's from Exodus and Malachi as well as Isaiah. Yeah. Like, hadn't really thought about that, so it just made me want to go look at the, you know, the references yeah. beyond just that day. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's in, in this quote, in what he's saying even, there's there's a lot of Old Testament prophet references. We're going to see a lot of the Exodus story woven through the Gospel of Mark, which we didn't plan that when we walked through Exodus in the spring. We're going to, we're going to be, have it fresh on our minds, though, and see a lot of that, um, and see John as kind of the, the final prophet, even after years of silence before Jesus. It's good. One more? Anything else? Yes, sir. interesting that a, a person prepared the way for the Son of God. Yeah, that's good. 
Awesome. Well, again, we'll, we'll take more time as we uh, go forward every week to kind of go, what, what did you notice? What was standing out to you? What was stirring? There's actually a lot that was just mentioned that, uh, that, that we're going to come back to because what we're going to see, what I want us to kind of ask for this first, uh, first dabble, first step into the Gospel of Mark is I want to ask three questions. They'll be up here on the screen. Um, but the first question is, what, what does the word gospel mean? Um, what is the gospel? The second question is, who is Jesus good news for? And then finally, and this gets into some of what was mentioned, how is John the Baptist an example for us? So these are questions we're going to kind of ask and, and answer. So, so the, the, the first question, what is the gospel? Um, I want to ask you, uh, what does the word gospel mean? Anyone know? I'll go back one. Otherwise, they'll cheat. Anyone know what the word gospel means? Good news. Good news. Yeah, there's, and there's actually, it's a trick question. There's two, there's two definitions of the word gospel, and it depends on if it's a capital G gospel or a lowercase g gospel. So there we go. Um, the capital G gospel is just a title of a book. We're reading the gospel of Mark. Um, there, there's four gospels in the Bible, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John. So, so this is one of the four books, the capital G gospel is one of four books in the Bible that recounts the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. What's important, though, is to realize that, that the gospel writers were not primarily, primarily trying to recount history. The, the Gospels are historical, but their, their primary purpose is not to say, here's history. There's not a lot of dates. There's not a lot of uh, detail like that. At the same time, the Gospels are not myths. We believe that they're 100% absolutely true, and neither are they like detailed biographies of Jesus' life. Uh, like the, the role of a biographer is try to uncover every single nuance in this kind of stuff. That, none of those were the goals of any of these four capital G gospel writers. Rather, the gospels, capital G gospels, we believe were inspired by God, were written by four different authors who had four different points of view. They were affirmed by eyewitnesses. That's big because there are other, you can go find the, on the internet, there's other gospel according to so-and-so and such-and-such. Um, the four that, that are in the scriptures were affirmed by other eyewitnesses as saying, yes, this is a true account of Jesus's life. So as you read Open your eyes for themes and, and, and theology and just kind of a, a picture of Jesus. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 apostles, and he shared his perspective, shared his experiences with his younger scribe named John Mark, um, who wrote it here and later traveled with the apostle Paul as well. In fact, it's this John Mark that Paul and Barnabas got in a fight over uh, later in the scriptures. And so rather than academically trying to dissect this book, I'd encourage you, look in Mark for ways that Peter described Jesus, and Mark wrote it down. Who is Jesus? What does Jesus do? What, is, what does Jesus invite us into? That's, that's the posture. So that's one definition of the gospel. That's the capital G gospel. It's a biblical book. It recounts the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. But the other definition of the gospel, which is the one that a couple of you shouted out, is yes, the lowercase g gospel simply means good news. Simply means good news. The gospel is a message of good news. The word gospel literally means good news. So talk to me for a minute. What is some good news you've received recently? What's some good news you've received? 
kids, what's some good news you've received? Grown-ups, what's some good news you've received? Going to be grandparents. That's good news. All right. Yeah. Four-day weekend from school. Absolutely. A lot of little hands clapping on that one. All right. What's some other good news? Yes. Made it into the Nutcracker. All right. Very nice. Your name's Clara, so I assume you have the starring role. Anything else? Other good news? I know there's more good news out there. Yeah. Got a new cousin. New baby cousin. Very nice. All right. Look at that. <laughs> so so th- these, are, these are very real glimpses of good news. It's not lost on me. Kids have an easier time coming up with good news. I don't know if y'all are like me. I have to like really process. They're like, ah, what, what is good news? Those are all, in other words, little gospels. Can I say it like that? If gospel literally means good news, then what you just shared is a little proclamation, a little message of good news. And so on on one hand, I want to see it through that lens to kind of normalize the word, because when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, what we're saying is, this is the good news of Jesus. Jesus is good news. Good news is Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is not this ethereal theology. It, it, it simply means that we believe that Jesus is good news. But on the other hand, seeing it through that lens is a little bit of a sobering reality. Because all those other things that you mentioned and all the other things that we didn't mention, because they're also good news, you know what can happen with them? They can compete to be the best good news in your life. Or maybe some of the things we didn't mention especially can compete in, in at least the way you operate or your mind to, to be better good news than the good news of Jesus. Is that fair? I mean, and we know there's like false gospels out there. There's prosperity gospel, which believes that, that Jesus just wants me to be happy and healthy. There's gospel of works that say we have to earn our love and this kind of stuff. There's kind of overtly false gospels. But, but y'all, as we dive into the gospel of Mark, I want to I caution us. I think every day someone can tell you, I am your source of joy or I can crush you. By my actions, by my words, I am your definition of good news. Or some pursuit or some goal can weave its way deceptively into your heart and mind and say, I will make your life better. Or I'll make your life worse. I'm your source of good news. There's so many false gospels that we face every single day. And so look in your scriptures, uh, Mark 1, 1. Does Mark use capital G gospel or lowercase g gospel when he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's your Bible say? A couple of Bible translations say capital G, which is also true. It's not not the beginning of the book, the gospel. But what he's saying is, by using a lowercase g, he's saying, I'm starting my capital G gospel by saying, this is a message of good news. Starting my capital G gospel by sharing with you lowercase g gospel, good news of who? Jesus, the what? Son of God. Son of God. That is what Mark is about. Amidst all the other versions of good news you could hear, Mark says, Jesus is the best 
good news. Does that sound like good news? It's hard for us, though, because all these other versions of good news maybe feel more tangible, maybe look more visible, maybe sound more audible. Jesus is the best good news. So it leads us to our second question. Who is Jesus good news for? Who's Jesus good news for? Look at verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, that's as far as we're going to go. Who at the time would read Isaiah the prophet? It would be Jews. It would be the, the nation of Israel. Uh, Curtis brought out that the, the verse 2 and 3 is an amalgamation of different Old Testament prophecies. And so for, for Jews who would study the Torah, who would know what we would call our Old Testament, they would hear Mark attributing to John these things from Malachi, things from Exodus, things from Isaiah, and, and they would know these are my scriptures. These are our scriptures. And so Jews would be the ones who would read Isaiah and would read the prophets. Jews had been waiting at this point for over 400 years, really if you want to look back, thousands of years for one person, one answer to every question, one place to put their hope, what was called the Messiah. Jews had been waiting for hundreds of years for a Messiah. And so so the, the little good news for Jewish people at the time would have been political and freedom and a new king who would have come in and set them free from the oppression of Rome, similar to how in their own history, Moses had come in and been a new leader to lead them out of the oppression of Egypt. God's people, the, the, the nation of Israel was yearning for hope. They wanted a savior, but they wanted a savior who fit in their image, a delivering savior, a political kingly savior. And so Mark would say, read my book. I'm going to show you a better picture of a Messiah than even the one you're looking for. What's his name? His name is Jesus, and he's the son of God. He may not be a political ruler, but he is the son of God. The, the, the verses echo Genesis 1, in the beginning, right? In Jesus, there's, there's new creation. These verses echo Exodus and the prophets. What, what, what Mark is saying here is that Jesus is deliverance. I'm going to quote to you your own scriptures and say there's deliverance coming. The, the long-awaited one is here. Jesus is good news for Israel. So who is Jesus good news for? He's, he's good news for folks who are religious, folks who follow God, folks who are yearning for a Messiah. He's good news for the Jews. But, as you'll see on the slide here, one of the most beautiful things about the gospel of Mark is that he also focuses on Gentiles. And if you're unaware of these terms, Gentiles were specifically anyone at the time who wasn't Jewish. And so Jesus is good news for Jews. Jesus is good news for Gentiles. Who's, who's left out? Nobody. That was it. You were either Jew or you were Gentile. Some theologians even claim that the climax of the Gospel of Mark, which you've got to wait several months to get to for us, but the climax of the Gospel of Mark is this Roman centurion, Roman guard, who had just helped kill Jesus, and he declares way down in chapter 15, he says, truly this man was, do you know this verse? Truly this man was the Son of God. Is that the first time we hear the term Son of God in this Gospel? Mark 1.1 the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The climax, some theologians say, is when this Gentile says the same thing. Now, now Romans, Gentiles, 
They were not under oppression. Who were they? They were the oppressors. They, they were the power of the day. Gentiles were not yearning for a savior or king. Rather, Rome was viewed as the savior. The emperor was viewed as the king. And so Mark would say to Gentiles, you think that you have power? You think that you are good news in and of yourself? Read my book, because I'll show you that there's a better gospel, a better power, a better savior than even the emperor of Rome. Who's his name? His name is Jesus, the son of God. He may not have palaces and thrones, but he is the son of God. Here's the point. For Mark's readers and for us today, Jesus is better good news than anything a politician can offer. He's better good news than any person of power can bestow upon you. He's better good news than any religion you can follow. He's better good news than any works you can do. He's better good news than every distraction. He's better good news than all of the little good newses that fill our minds and fill our hearts and fill our Instagram feeds every single day. Jesus, the Son of God, is the best good news for everyone. And so again, that's Mark's opening cry. Jesus is good news. Good news is Jesus. But as we keep going, we see Mark's not alone in that message. John's message is the same. And because of that, John serves as an example for us. Uh, we've already mentioned a couple of things. What do you know about John the Baptist from these verses or from you know, pictures you've seen? in storybook Bibles or this kind of stuff. What do you know of John the Baptist? Real Elijah vibe. Okay, yeah. <laughs> He's wild. Yeah. Dressed wild. Yeah. Mo I mean, if, if there's one word that, like, most of, like, at least our kind of modern-day Christianity has painted him as, he's just weird, right? Like, all the pictures show this, like, not just wild, but like this weird dude dressed weird and eating weird things and this kind of stuff. So, so we, we see John the Baptist as someone who's weird. He ate weird. He dressed weird. He acted weird. He was a weird dude. But I want to offer a, a different point of view. Because you know who else in Israel's own history stayed well outside of societal norms and wore camel's hair and ate locusts and honey and dressed not in the robes of riches, but rather the wildness of God's creation. A whole lot of prophets, a whole lot of folks who had come and said, hey, God's got something better for you, Israel. And you may have to leave your comfort zone to come out into the wilderness, like you were saying, to find this better thing God has for you. You may have to leave your riches. You may even have to leave your religious traditions because the temple was the, the centerpiece of worship at the time, but we'll know later in the Gospel of Mark that the temple had been corrupted. John, in all of the weirdness that we paint him as, was stepping into his role as the final in a long line of prophets sent before Jesus to say, hey, remember the message we've hoped in for hundreds of years that the Messiah is coming? That's my message too. And guess what? It's almost here. He's almost So John's actions, dress, etiquette, 
uh, uh, appetite. It associated with him with the Old Testament prophets who would do weird things, live countercultural lives. And so John was carrying with him, we got to get this for the rest of the gospel to make sense. John was carrying with him a countercultural message of a different and better kingdom. John was carrying with him a countercultural message of a different and better king and kingdom. And so he, his, his declaration was confess, repent, turn from your ways. Why? Because all those other things that became the best good news to you are going to let you down. All, all the things that fill your life, all the things that fill your desires, all the people that say, hey, I'm, I'm the best or worst thing to you, all those things are false and fading. So his confession call and his repentance call wasn't nearly as damning as it can sound. It was saying there's something better. Turn from those things because there's better good news over here. And then by John's location, he wasn't just counter common culture. He was countering the religious culture and the corrupt religious power of his day. And if I say that and you go, oh man, there's some corruption in kind of the capital C Western church today, I would say, yeah. Yeah, and so John's an example for us in going, hey, this, this message of good news doesn't have to look like that, shouldn't look like that, can't look like that. His call was to come out far from Jerusalem, even far from the temple, and find life in the wilderness. But you know what's in the wilderness? Nothing comfortable. Nothing that looks pretty, but maybe something that looks far better. So this, the first way that John was an example to us is that he's a man who lived between two worlds. He was caught between the common culture and the religious culture of his day. And a second way he's an example to us is the way he lived between those two cultures, which was a life of utter humility. In, in another gospel, John the Baptist is quoted as saying, I must decrease so that Jesus must increase. John did not worry about himself. John was not worried about fitting in. John was not worried about being comfortable or approved by the religious leaders or approved by the cultural norms. John pointed people to a better king. We'll see next week that John gave his life for the sake of of his king, Jesus. His role and ours is to unroll a red carpet and declare the inauguration of a better king and a better kingdom, even if that better king and better kingdom doesn't look like people want. So, so here's, here's a question for us today. If we know that everyone on earth, everyone in our workplaces, everyone in our schools, everyone in our neighborhoods, everyone in our carpools, everyone in our blocks, everyone in the restaurants you go to, whatever, if everyone on earth is looking for some hope, some king, some form of good news, some form of salvation, however they described it, if we know that to be true, are we willing to, to risk our reputation, lay down our life, go with John into the wilderness, where it's not comfortable and where our lives and our words and our hopes and our dreams might look different than the common culture and also the religious culture around us? And are we willing to invite and point those people to Jesus as the answer to everything they're seeking?
That's the invitation in John the Baptist's example. So here's, here's where we are. It's be on the slide. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. Who, who, who is it good news for? Jesus is the best good news for Jews and Gentiles and for you and for me and for everyone, no matter who you are, where you are, whatever you're going through, and no matter who you know, where they are, and whatever they're going through, Jesus is still the best good news. And then how's John an example? He's an example for us of countercultural humility and literally laying down his life for Jesus. That's what we've seen in these verses. And I think that's all great, except we're missing one thing. We've talked a lot about Jesus, but where is Jesus in these first verses of the Gospel of Mark? Mark doesn't have a Joseph and Mary story. Mark doesn't have glimpses of Jesus as a childhood. Mark, again, is an action-oriented book. And so Jesus just appears in verse 9. So let me read verse 9 through 11. It'll be on the screen as well. In those days, when John was out in the wilderness inviting people, come away and find true life. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. We'll spend more time in these verses next week. Read ahead. But what does Jesus do in these verses? I want to summarize it as we close our time today by saying that the first picture of Jesus first thing that Mark wants us to know, the first picture of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is one of a suffering servant. The first thing Jesus does in Mark's Gospel of Good News is to be baptized. His first act, in other words, foreshadows what? His death, his resurrection. We even see the, the, the heavens being torn. You know, you know when else in the, in the gospel account something is torn? There's a curtain in the temple right as Jesus dies that allows everyone access to God. And as he rises, the spirit comes down and says, you are my son in whom I'm pleased. We, we say this every time we get to baptize someone, but baptism is a symbol. As you go into the water, you're saying, yes, I die to myself. Yes, I turn from all the other little gospels that try to consume me and distract me from the best good news. Yes, I'm dead with Christ. And then as we come up out of the water, we say I'm being risen to new life. It's not that the act itself changes us. It's that we're saying this is what's happened to me. I'm dead to myself and I'm risen to Christ. That's the first thing that Jesus does in this gospel. For everyone in all of history except for Jesus, baptism is a turning from sin to life. It's a being washed clean by Jesus. For Jesus... Baptism was a moment where the Spirit confirmed Jesus' oneness with the Father and that, yes, he is the one who carries the identity that Mark started his gospel with. This is Jesus, the Son of God. Later in your Bibles, in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus humbled himself to become like a human. In his baptism, Jesus is associating with human need. 
Philippians 2 also says he humbled himself, though, to the point of death and death on a cross for you and for me. The first thing we see in the Gospel of Mark is a Savior willing to die. And then in his resurrection, Jesus gives you life. We see in Acts 2 that the Spirit comes down on the people of Jesus, just as in this verse, the Spirit came down on Jesus. And we can go on and on and on. But bottom line, Mark's first glimpse of Jesus' life is a foreshadow of Jesus' death and resurrection. That was the culmination of Jesus' work. That's the inauguration of Jesus' kingdom. That's the pinnacle of Jesus as good news, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're going through. That's what we get to celebrate every time we baptize someone. That's also what we recall and proclaim every time we take communion. And so I want to end this first step into Mark's gospel by inviting you uh, to take a a piece of bread. And the way we do this here is you can either dip it into the wine or the the juice. Uh, The wine is red. The juice is the the grape juice color. Um, and, And as you do, Here's what I want you to picture. We're going to combine these things today. We don't believe that this bread and this juice or wine is, is the actual literal body and blood of Jesus. But in Jesus' first act, the first glimpse we get of his life in Mark is pointing toward his death. So also, as you dip the bread into the wine or the juice, picture Jesus and picture yourself going down and dying to your will, dying to your ways, dying to all the other little gospels. And then as you pick the bread up, picture yourself rising with Jesus and picture Jesus and the, the, the spirit descending, confirming on him, this is the waiting, waited for Messiah. This is the declaration of baptism. This is the declaration of communion. Take and eat. you know what we just did? We just reminded ourselves and reminded those we're sitting with us that if we follow Jesus, then because of Christ in you, that's what we proclaim at baptism, that's what we recall and declare in communion. Because of Christ in you, every time God looks at you, listen to me, every time God looks at you, he sees perfection. He sees wholeness. He sees restoration. He sees purity. He sees Jesus in you. And so every time God looks at you, he would say the same to you, just with a lowercase s, perhaps, that he says to Jesus, you are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved heir. With you, I'm well pleased. Is that good news? Father, thank you that Jesus is the best good news. Thank you that that's true in the moments where it's easy to believe. Thank you that it's true in the moments where it's nearly impossible to believe. Father, and all the other versions of good news that consume us, distract us, pull us away, would you remind us of this truth, that you and you alone are the best good news, that the good news is Jesus and that Jesus is the good news. Remind us of who we are because of that. And Spirit, would you fill us to follow John's example, to step into the empowerment that you give us, and to remember of who you've called us to be.
not by anything that we've done, but by the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus, the Son of God.